We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oscar Robertson, Leo Sindor, what a year that has been. The Bucks are the world champions. Moncrief going inside. Ray Allen driving past Armstrong. The jam over McGrady. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton. Happy birthday, Jason Kidd. This place is up for grabs. Play basketball and win. And win? Yeah. How many games? Six. We're gonna, be, we're gonna win in six. Hello and welcome to episode 343 of the Win Six Podcast. Proudly a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wires Podcast family. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good. It's Labor Day. It is Labor Day. I, <laughs> it, re- it means very little to me. I had to ask you. I, you know, it's kind of what I... It, yeah, we you know? labor without the U. That's yeah, that's also... <laughs> that's that's the thing. Uh, but it does what it says on the tin, kind of. You know, it's... Labor Day is Labor Day. I get it now. So we're recording this on Labor Day. You'll be hearing it a little bit later. And this is the second part of our uh, ongoing interview series we're doing with books fans, with friends of the pod with uh, former guests on the pod and today's guest kind of takes all of those categories and then some because we're delighted to have back on win and six for us uh, a many many time guest on the podcast our good friend dan larson dan hello welcome back to the pod uh thank you for having me it's uh exciting to be here and have a chance to talk about the bucks in a positive light because uh, i think yeah. we were talking about it two years ago and uh, here i am again and now we're actually nba champions which is still even two months later it feels kind of crazy <laughs> i'm just thinking if we were to go and like pull up the tape on some of the things you were probably saying last time you were on you know times have changed it was that was after the raptor series and i remember you definitely being a part of a couple of our most like existential episodes in the aftermath as we try to work to through it so it's nice to have you back under these circumstances of course you uh you rode alongside jordan and i behind book pass for quite some time and more importantly you you and jordan are long time real life friends so you're here 
to not only talk about your own books fandom story, but also to drag out some good stuff from Jordan too. So <laughs> I'm very excited for where this may go. Let's start at the very beginning. The answer to this can be as simple, and I think in a lot of cases it'll be really simple, it'll be self-explanatory, but maybe there's something there that when you hear the question, you're like, well, actually, this is a part of it. My first question to you is, why are you a books fan, Dan? So I think like a lot of Wisconsin sports fans, um, growing up in Wisconsin, I grew up a fan of the Wisconsin teams. Um, my dad was a big Bucks fan growing up. Um, he, when he was a kid was when the Bucks won their first NBA title. Um, so I think just by a sort of association like that, especially since my dad was like really into the Packers, like the Packers were my biggest team growing up. And then uh, as the Bucks became relevant again in the late 90s, um, so I was still you know like seven, eight years old around the time. Um, was when the Bucks were really becoming relevant again. Um, and I remember uh, really getting back into the Bucks then. But I guess to answer the larger question, why I'm a Bucks fan, um, you know, I, growing up with this team, I, I really identify with the story and everything that this team has gone through because I think a lot of what um, has attracted me to uh, be and stay a Packers fan my entire life, as well as, um, ironically, a Manchester City fan, as well as the this uh, story of struggle, like you know, we had we were a very successful team at the beginning of the franchise, um, obviously well before our times. But um, and then to go through the amount of years of struggle that the Bucks did and the highs and lows with that, um, especially struggling with being stuck in that middle tier ground for such a long time, um, you know, I really identified with that because you know it's. If you were a fan of a team that was very successful, <laughs> you know, you get kind of spoiled and you don't, I don't think like you fully appreciate sometimes like just how much it means to win one of these titles. Um, and I think because of the journey that we've been on, like that, that experience to me um, is so much more rewarding than just being a fan of a team that's like successful and always successful and doesn't face uh, many struggles. So I think like that element's definitely always been there. But I guess in the, more, in the simplest terms, like growing up in southeastern Wisconsin um, in Ozaki County, uh, just up the road from Milwaukee, um, and being around the Bucks my entire life and being around Wisconsin teams, like um, that really is the simplest explanation is proximity. But then I think the story of where this team was and where this team is, um, is definitely what's kept me coming back. I think the thing that's interesting about that question for uh, someone like your kind of age range, Jordan's kind of age range, it's like, sure, like the geographical, the logical reason can bring you to the books. But if you're still, if you're on a podcast now and you've gone all the way through, it's kind of like you've, you've never really seen the good times so recently and you were there all along. And I think that that's part of what makes it interesting because as we kind of dive a little deeper into your book's journey and some of the early memories you might have or anything like that, I think it will it will come into pretty sharp focus that they were bad years. There was a lot of bad years <laughs> that um, people just in, in our kind of shared age range, if you're watching the books, there's some rough, rough basketball being played, a lot of very non-glamorous players really nothing glamorous at all about the books, which is the interesting thing. It's like, not only have they managed to overcome, you know, oh, this small market that's never going to be able to achieve, but they've actually, they've actually come to the fore in a way where 
there is a little bit of glamour to the whole thing. Like, it comes from having a superstar like Giannis, but there is just kind of a sheen to everything from the arena to how the franchise presents itself, not just like in Milwaukee or within Wisconsin, but on a, a global scale now. So that is that is something that I find interesting. It might be obvious reasons why you're a Bucks fan, but you're still a Bucks fan, which I have no doubt there's a lot of people who I'm guessing they've probably come back in the last few months, but they may have tapped out at some point along the way. I believe my co-host may even have tapped out at some point, as we might get into in a moment. But the next question for you, then, is what what's your earliest memory? Whether it's a really strong, vivid memory, you could be going to a game, or if it's something kind of really faint of the books, like kind of even if it's your first exposure, seeing seeing the logo, seeing it and kind of being like, what's that? Oh, that's that's the basketball team or that's the Milwaukee basketball team. What's your first memory? So, I mean, I, I think I was vaguely aware of the team when I was like three, four or five years old. But um, the very f- first memory I, that sort of popped in my head when you were asking that question was uh, watching the 2001 playoff run, uh, wearing a Ray Allen jersey. Shoot, We had this little toy basketball hoop in our living room. So I'd like, you know, be playing playing that and imitating the game while watching the game uh as a little kid and um i mean that was like the first memory i really remember uh having of like getting really into the box and getting really into the nba um and enjoying that run i mean unfortunately it didn't end the way that uh i think many of us were hoping but um that that, that definitely was like the first distinct memory i do remember having i probably around the semifinals uh eastern conference finals time frame i don't remember the specific game we were watching necessarily but i do remember like getting really into the bucks um and watching that run and part of my follow-up to that then is do you remember much after it do you remember how your fandom progressed from that point because like to get in on that team seems like a really obvious thing that a lot of people and a lot of young kids would have been attracted to. But then in a very short space of time, the team is not good. A lot of the key players are gone. It's kind of a pretty harsh introduction to the NBA and to life as a books fan. I remember it unraveling pretty fast. And then it's like, you know, after that, I, I, I remember still being really into the team, uh, like 03, 04 season, uh, when they had TJ Ford, um, around that time frame and being into the team. But then when they got to the playoffs and I think each of the first two, like 03, 04, 04, 05 might be wrong on the two year seasons there. But um, I remember them being in the playoffs, getting up against the Pistons who were basically the Kings of the Eastern conference in the mid two thousands at that point, And just getting absolutely annihilated and feeling like, <laughs> you know, as a little kid, you're hopeful that your team is going to be competitive. And then to watch them basically just get, blowing off the floor it's like oh wow there's actually a huge gap here and we're really not that close you know because i think it's easier to hold out hope when you're not that into the uh, details of it but once you but that was like a, a sort of harsh exposure to like oh yeah the gap between these teams is massive and um you know even if the bucks could get there someday it just feels pretty far away jordan once the name tj ford was was said by Dan there. Big nods from you. What's what's TJ one of four Ford's Bucks party? jerseys I own? I bought wow. it after the yeah four. I, I, we gotta go illustrious... through the set here. I, I don't think I know what Bucks jersey. It's not are. an illustrious list. I, this is uh, what I hoped <laughs> to, to this point of Bucks hopefuls and had that hope being dashed multiple times. Uh, TJ Ford I bought at uh, Max Steve Days. That was like way after the fact. 
Um, Gary Payton, I bought it as a kid. Oh. Yeah. Dunham Sports. That's like a sports, or was a sports chain? Tight, I don't know if it tight was. window to get that jersey in. Very tight. Well, I think it was already on clearance after he left. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, it was in production for like, what, three months, and then he's gone. Um, Larry Sanders. I bought that was I bought it during the 15 win season. I was like, I haven't bought a Bucks jersey in a long time. Um, and then I think you were the couple, only person to buy one that season. Exactly. A couple months later, I bought a Jabari jersey. Um, obviously, it was right. I think it was right after he got drafted. And then, yeah, we know how that story unfolded as well. And I was like, I think I'm out of buying Bucks jerseys for my life. I'm just like going to focus on like whatever else. It seems like there's a curse following whoever you buy a jersey for. Oh, it's... I mean, to be fair... Grievous Vasquez. I mean... Exactly. <laughs> I, could, I could speak to it. There's something... I don't know what it is. I just, like... Plus, it was like Larry was the face at that time of the Bucks. Jabari was the face at that time. Gary Payton was the face of some time. Um, <laughs> DJ Ford was, too. That's the thing. Like, people forget... TJ4 was like, what, he was drafted like 10th overall? I'm not saying he was going to be like this franchise changer by any means, but he was a good prospect. And uh, yeah, he had his, that terrible spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. And it, that's like another thing where it's like coming out of the big three era, which as we just talked about, where it's like this flash in the pan where all like like Dan and I, like we're the same age. That was such a big rallying team, or like team to like rally around and like become like your first first exposure of being a Bucks fan, and then there's no straight line to success of anything. It's just going beers downward because that was the high point of that era. And TJ Ford is like the reward of like all the chaos of George Carl, Gary Payton, Sam Cassell leaving, Ray Allen leaving, Glenn Robinson getting traded, all that stuff, and. It's like what I think six months into his rookie season or less than that, like he gets hurt. So it's like, oh, that's that's another great shot. And the you know, it's like, where does that go now? Is that the? Sorry, go on then. Oh, I was just thinking with TJ. Um, I don't think I watched the game live where he hurt his neck, but I remember being very deflated hearing that news. And that I, I think when you when I up until the last ten years, I, I would say like. My early Bucks fandoms very much those waves of where I was paying attention, and then like that was at, around the frame time frame between that and like the the way they got just annihilated in those two playoffs runs uh, with the Pistons in the mid two thousands. It was like, man, this gap is huge. And then our star, one of our guys who should have could have theoretically been a star player. I mean, TJ did look pretty good in the limited time he had uh, before that injury. Like it was so deflating. It was like. Well, it feels like this team's not going to be relevant for a while, and I'm such a big Packers fan. Like, um, you know, I kind of just went back in the Packers fandom, you know, more so than the Bucks, and the Bucks kind of faded for a bit there, um, like early high school, late middle school, early high school period um, in the late 2000s. Jordan, does that uh, coincide with your infamous sabbatical, roughly? No, but I think I think that's the thing is that everybody has everybody has one. Yeah, because it's not just. You I know, had one last season. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody has those waves of like, because they were bad. They were, it wasn't that they were bad. It's like fatigue, um, right? It's, uh... it's fatigue. Um, we had, there's, even when after, or 
before and after they drafted Big Dog, they weren't that great for long periods of time for that. Same thing with like Bogut. They get the first overall pick in 05. They were, I think they were good. That was the second time they went against the Pistons and just got crushed. But uh, even then, it's like, okay, like, really? We're, it was, yeah. Everybody has ways of just like, okay, we're locked in, we're locked in, and then it just kind of just falls apart, and then you, you know, find other better stuff to do. <laughs> we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. One of the questions I was going to ask there too, which I think you kind of answered, um, Dan, is is do you think a part of why, and I'd never considered this before, because only now am I, am I considering adopting you know Wisconsin sports fandom, branching out further beyond the books. Two thousand one was this thing though, um, less so than like Brandon Jennings fever or you know Brandon Knight fever if you're like Ty Windish, um. That I always was, I was puzzled by the hold it had. Like, it makes sense because it had been so long, but also, like, it really had a stronger hold. But I was just thinking there, is that, like, is that the breakthrough point for people like you, for guys your kind of age? Because it's the first time where any kind of, you know, the spotlight of Wisconsin sports is moved away from Packers. Brewers were not good during that time, right? They didn't. They didn't get good until what two thousand seven, two thousand six. Okay. Right. Yep. Oh six oh seven was when the Brewers started to get relevant. Um, and that was around the time I got into the Brewers. Uh, because yeah, yeah, the Brewers were so terrible from the nineties and early two thousands. Um, I think it probably was for for a lot of people our age. I mean, I think a lot of kids our age would have, if they were into the NBA before that it, it was definitely for Michael Jordan and I definitely had awareness around Jordan and Bulls but mm-hmm. like I you know I don't remember watching Bulls games because now it's a you know it's such a long time in the past so like 2001 definitely did like bring me into something I was already kind of interested in but that was definitely the turning point um for being my first exposure to really getting into the Bucks, and, and I, I think that's probably the case for a lot of folks our age too just because you know, the Packers were going through the Packers were struggling for 30 years going into the 90s. And then once Favre came along and 
he had the mid nineties runs there where they got to the championship game, won the Super Bowl, lost the Super Bowl. Like everything in Wisconsin well, in general, is usually about Packers anyway, but like especially during that time frame, given how relevant the Packers were in the title picture every year and where the Bucks and the Brewers were, relatively speaking, Brewers being like in the cellar <laughs> um, for basically the entire 90s. Um, you know, that I think definitely was a part of the reason why like the Bucks just really weren't on my radar as much until, you know, 2001. Um, I think that there was a thing of like, for a casual fan, I'm sure it still exists to some degree. Where I'm just so far in it that it kind of doesn't really matter to me. But like, if the Bucks were good by the time the Packers were done, you know, going as far as they did in the playoffs, whether that was like divisional round or even conference championship, or they didn't at that time. But like, that was a factor in why those teams, I think, broke through despite like actually having or obviously having success like they did in 2001 or even going to the playoffs and kind of catching heat or fire in the second half of 2010 season, there was like a thing of like, if they're still like kind of like in the picture past, you know, mid January or whatever it was when the Packers season was over, like that was like a real thing at Mm. one point in time. It would, you know, especially during the cold years, I don't think this ownership rightly should really factor that in because it's like, you know, their yeah, success it, obviously speaks for itself now, but for sure. Well, another thing too, we have to remember about where the bucks were in the nineties. If you didn't have a cable or a satellite package that carries this is big. Bucks games, like, and I, that was definitely a part of it too. I mean, I don't think we had Fox sports, Wisconsin up until um, maybe early mid two thousands. Yeah, it was 2003. So it used to be on, as Ben talked about the other or last episode, it used to be on public television. It was like channel 18, 25 or channel 18 or 24, uh, depending on the time frames. Oh, yeah, so right. like, now you said that I remember that. So the, it would just be like, Oh, I'm watching a rerun of the Simpsons and it would go into a Bucks game and Paschke and McLaughlin. Like it, that was, that's what we're, that in itself is like wild because of like how precious live sports is to everything now. And to like propping up traditional and like, um, you know, new age cable experiences but like to think that a nba team was on public television like 20 years ago this is not that long ago but that's like we won't get into details on this but you and i know from other stuff we're we're researching at the moment like that not a new phenomenon like and um basketball milwaukee and the books specifically like being being late to to the uptake on that all along which is it's also interesting your thing i thought of too am i right in saying so Packers win a Super Bowl in 96? Correct. So, 96, even... 97, or 97, uh, technically 97, January, uh, February, January, January 97. Okay. Uh, but 96 season. Because then even part of maybe why, like, the intensity of love for the 01 books, like, grows, it, it grew so intense and it burned, it burned out so fast even too, is you don't have the, like, the equivalent of the Giannis Chris development journey because... Big Dog gets drafted, okay, there's a couple of years out, and the team didn't really go anywhere until, say, Ray Allen comes along too, which is 96. So Ray Allen's rookie season. And Ben Baker pa- was in that Packers, picture too. He was still there. So yeah. Packers win a Super Bowl then, and it's like that team is kind of, yeah, sure, it's starting to develop. It's blossoming in something, but they probably get the first couple of years of that very much under the radar. Like it, it, and 
like when Ray Allen's gets drafted, aside from people who are just hardcore basketball fans and it being kind of books true and true, which there are plenty of, but I I don't think there's like that does not comprise of you know the majority of Wisconsin. My experience, and I I know quite a lot of you at this point, <clears throat> is like Wisconsin sports fans love Wisconsin sports, you know, and it it really it will go kind of across the major sports and from team to team in a way that just doesn't necessarily seem to carry in other cities in other states. And yeah, it's, I'd never really given it much thought for, but it's interesting to think how even that team started of kind of came up like, like way in the background because it was like the Packers peak compared to where they had been even for quite some time. So that's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Who was your first book's favorite, your first favorite player that you can remember then? It has to be Ray Allen. I'm pretty sure I had a Ray Allen jersey um, during that that run. Uh, was when I got my first basketball jersey, and it was a Ray Allen jersey. I think I may have even had earlier to that though one of the versions of the the green jersey with the buck on it from the mid '90s, because mm. I I was very nostalgic for that jersey. So when um, Garrett and Mitchell started selling those jerseys uh, around, I think it's like 2010, 2011, Jordan. I'm trying to remember when I got that Ray Allen jersey. It's very well worn, in fact, it's in my closet right now. But um, I remember picking that jersey up and being very nostalgic for it because um, I remember having that as a kid. So, I mean, player-wise, it, it had to be Ray Allen. Um, I remember really enjoying Sam Cassell during that run as well. And then TJ Ford, uh, rooting for him. It's interesting, like Michael Red was definitely somebody I was rooting for as well, but it's just kind of funny looking back at it and thinking about how he was basically their best player after the 2001 run. Really, their only relevant player since he's the only one that made an all-star game, I think, during the entire 2000s after the beginning of the decade. But like that, it's just kind of crazy that like he doesn't jump out to me the same way or like captured my attention in the same way that like players who came later, like Brandon Jennings, when, you know, Peaking your fan interest again, bringing kind of hooking me back in, like how that that and them being relevant in the playoffs, like was different than um, than Michael Red. But Ray Allen was probably was the first player I really remember uh, rooting for. And then he gets traded not that long after you know, he start to get into it. So it's like, now what? <laughs> Red needed a hype man. I, I honestly think that's the concern. He needed a better team. He needed help, just generally. <laughs> But also with his personality, he needed the guy who was going to, like, the thing that can't be overlooked, say, with Brandon Jennings, is, like, the him and Monte Ellis combination, which whatever anyone thinks of them as an actual basketball pairing, they're easy to sell. They have the iconic commercial. You know, you can you can do stuff like that with them, where trying to find, like, the second player in the red era, I mean only bogut when bogut comes and even then that's not that's not exciting it would, I mean, no. it would, it would excite me that's my kind of i noticed the trend here dan you were listing guards and wings you're like the opposite of me there was no big guys there <laughs> so which is wh- funny because i really enjoyed larry sanders and andrew bogut which we can talk about in a little bit like but that's the thing like at least early on i think honestly i i think just thinking about this logically would you think about how relevant guards were to determining who won a title at that and wings mm-hmm. at that point in determining titles like still are i think, I think we could attest to right yeah. and, I, and i think that's why that really like was probably why i gravitated towards the position but also that may explain part of the reason why it also felt like michael red wasn't quite the same as ray allen even though statistically you know they had some uh somewhat comparable seasons allen was 
clearly a better player because he's in the Hall of Fame and Red had those devastating injuries. But um, like, I think when you think about the gap between like Michael Red versus some of the other guys at that position, even during that time frame, like as good as he was, there was still such a gap between like him and um, and like, you know, early 2000s Vince Carter that it just felt like, you know, that that talent gap, it it, it did him a disservice because he was maybe like one of the 25 best players in the league, but not one of the five or 10 best he's players. Olympian. He's Olympian. He's a gold medalist. He's, he's Chris Middleton. It's uncanny, like just the whole way you that we talk about him from everything down to like jersey numbers and stuff. It's just, it's, it's the same. It's similar enough games, similar enough personalities. And it's like, yeah, you've said it, top 25 player, but not the kind of superstar, the, that drawing power, the thing that just is going to have people kind of gravitate towards him. And yeah, even goes Olympic Games, part of a team where you look at the other guys and you're like, oh, Michael Red, cool. Like, that's great. Good for him. Plus, we uh, have to remember the team presence at the time. I mean, the team did not really break through in the community much. Like I, you know, the, the kinds of things we see today for the Bucks that, that advertise themselves and advertise themselves and put themselves out there and even stuff that they do for community service is like there's just so much more. And I mean, and some of that's like, you know, evolution of the game and where the NBA is at today. But and like, social media I, I, and social media, of course, being a huge part of that, too. Like it just it was so much harder for even though Michael Rose was a really good player, like it just didn't feel like the Bucks did as good of a job like selling him like as being the guy to attract it and you know for some of the factors you talked about i mean it's not just it's it's a two-way you know issue but um i mean the bucks had a hard time breaking through too because of that um well and then most importantly not being you know relevant in the title picture i think makes it really hard to break through in a state like this especially when the bucks had until that point not won a title since uh 1971 yeah, and I, I always wonder for people who are old enough to remember and to be around from from the beginning. Um, if you were a young kid in late sixties and into the seventies, and you watch this team and it came out of the blocks like it did, and they win a championship and they go to a finals and they're just winning at an incredible level, to then go through okay, the eighties were really good, so that helps. But by the time you get to the real downturn, it's like. That's that's tough for expectations that were created at the beginning. Even like, because even the eighties, it's like the 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 downturn post Kareem to transition into the eighties is so small that like there is a generation of people at that point that their whole understanding of what the books are, the books are like this elite winning machine. You know, they carry mm. this franchise that's always going to be in the mix. They're going to go deep in the playoffs, and then you get to the end of the eighties and into the nineties where you know. Time is cruel. Both of you have the misfortune to arrive right at the point where the consistent winning that the franchise had done in its existence falls off and we get something else. But as you kind of alluded to earlier on, I think part of what's made the last few months, even the last two or three years so special, is what's come between, or the lack of anything really all that memorable, um, for good reasons coming in between that. On that note, what would you put down as the low point of your fandom, whether that's way back at the beginning, maybe it's you took 2001 really, really hard as a kid who just stumbled into this team, or if it's something much more recently, what for you has been the moment where of all of the booksy moments, it's got to you most. They've come closest to breaking it. 
I think objectively, there's, I mean, there's going to be a, probably more than one I want to talk about. Like the the low point, the objective low point has to be that mid late two thousands period where I checked out because you know the team to be stuck in that eight to twelve range every year, like we've I think we've talked about in the past, and just not being relevant. I mean, you would because you either wanted to see the team bottom out and get a superstar player, which they were never bad enough to get, or they or the lottery just didn't go their way, um, you know, in like the, the 2000, 2006 through two thousand eight period. I mean, hell, even Andrew Bogut. I mean, they could have had Chris Paul instead of Andrew Bogut, as great as Bogut was. Um, and just like seeing those like pick after pick after pick, I remember having this conversation with Jordan uh, and a number of other folks that I've, I've been friends with. Um, Looking back at those drafts from like after like the mid '90s through up until Giannis and how just an unbelievably rough this is. It's like, oh, they traded their pick and this turned into jo- uh, into uh, Josh Smith when he was good. You know, like there's Josh just Smith so many good. different pieces of this. Oh, they took TJ Ford and then he had this he had this horrible injury and then they could have had like these guys and then you're, you're looking at it and it's like, holy cow, like they haven't had a single thing go their way and then it. Just like the culmination of that makes you feel so hopeless because it's like when the gap is that big and it feels like you can't compete with the big market teams that are able to attract superstar players, but you're not bottoming out. It's like, what's the, what's really the point of existing? It's kind of, I mean, it's not like in the NBA um, where there is a salary cap. So like you have the ability in theory to compete with these other clubs. It's just harder to do so. Um, because of um, this, players prefer to play for big market teams that are relevant every year. Uh, in Milwaukee, infrastructure-wise, like before we had the arena and the state-of-the-art facilities we had now, players didn't want to be here. But mm-hmm. um, when you look at, but I think that's like you know that's like different than like the Premier League, where you have these clubs that just can't compete financially with the biggest clubs in the world to attract the best players. Like there are similar dynamics between that, but with the salary cap, you do have the ability to do that, but then the team's just not making any moves that are putting them in a position to be better or to, you know, short-term, long-term, um, you know, and just hanging around the competence is, is really a big yeah. part of, like, there's all of the bad luck, sure, but I, Jordan knows this, and you probably know this too, that one of my least favorite things about basketball fandom, about books fandom, is when people do the look back at draft picks, and they're like, Oh, the Bucks should have had this player because he was picked with a pick that they traded. It's like the Bucks had nothing to do with that. Don't right. trust the Bucks to to have picked Dirk Nowitzki for themselves, for example, in yeah. maybe the <laughs> ultimate example. Because you know what? Right. If they knew Dirk Nowitzki was Dirk Nowitzki, well, they wouldn't have traded the pick, and you wouldn't find yourself in that spot. And I, I think when you start to view it that way, the thing that gets really interesting is you realize, oh, they were just. They're just an absolute mess of a franchise. Like they, they couldn't come up with a good decision to save their lives, nearly quite literally, to save the franchise for a long, long spell. And it's fair to say they looked into one too, the one that brought us to this point. Like I think the decision making process has obviously changed, but it, what it took to get to that point, it's like there are so many bad breaks, legitimately bad luck. But it's also kind of you make your own look. And if you look at other franchises who haven't turned that corner, the Knicks are the best example. They've all of the advantages in the world and they just continue to be absolutely terrible because they're so incompetent. No matter who they're bringing in, they just continue to remarkably find ways to still be incompetent, to make weird decisions, to draft the wrong players, make the wrong trades, give out the wrong contracts. 
And that's kind of what the books are doing. But with a crucial point that you gave too, because it's something that when I think even when all of us started like blogging about the team and we used to talk about the small market and the players who wouldn't come there, like let's go back to say, remember the DeAndre Jordan rumors she's like that was just for moose signs yeah it was right before moose which moose was the breakthrough it's like oh someone picked milwaukee over over la and over new york but the thing about that at that time beyond just the market stuff which is really easy to trot out is as you mentioned that it's like the facilities were terrible it's like if you're a small market team and you know you're you're in that uphill battle because you're in a smaller market well, how do you how do you fight that? It's like, okay, well, let's get the best people working for us. We'll have the best possible training staff, you know, development staff. We're gonna have a state of the art practice facility. We're gonna have a great arena. So guys will be like, you know what? Do I want to go and live in Milwaukee? Maybe not. But I love all this other stuff they've got going for them, and this could make me the best player I can be. This could help me to win a championship, which is the the literal evolution we've seen. Um. When I think yeah. about that too, like take the the rumor that they were offered Steph Curry instead of Monte Ellis, sure. and they said no. Would Curry have had the same career if he had come to Milwaukee with our medical facilities? I don't think he ever emerges as the player that he is today because of that. The Bucks just weren't capable of doing what the Golden State medical staff was able to figure out to get Steph Curry to where he is today. I mean, would Jason that... Kidd ultimately have allowed him to shoot trees years later? Who knows. <laughs> Well, even look at Bogut. Bogut too. goes through his gnarly elbow injury. He comes back. He even I found. I think he's talked about it multiple times. He came back way too early, and his career was never the same. And granted, he found a perfect landing spot in that trade with Golden State, where he could kind of be the ultimate role player that made everything work for that era of Golden State. Obviously, they get Kevin Durant and become this juggernaut, but like. His career is severely altered by the fact that not only did he get hurt, but he also came back too early. I mean, you look at like his free throw percentage, there's a sharp dip in terms of like, it wasn't like he was a strong free throw shooter to begin with, but like, if you're just looking at like one indicator, um, he even said like, it's, you know, something like that would not happen today. I don't think. Um, Thankfully we don't have to like go through that ever you know to that degree but like it's it's stuff like that that like seems small in the moment and then you can think about that or think back now and it's like oh yeah like you know even in the Giannis book that Marin Fader wrote like the you know details about the cousin center and that stuff wasn't knowledge to me until you know writing about the bucks mm-hmm. about it being kind of like a shared facility <laughs> with you know what I mean like that's crazy right, it, seems so it seems so absurd it seems so absurd yeah. Um, I guess that we were talking about the low point too. I know this is switching topics, but I just wanted to throw out emotionally low point though. Um, objectively low point was that because that took me out of my Bucks fandom for a while and then I came back. But and I've stayed since the John Salmons, Brandon Jennings, uh Bucks Hawks like playoff run. But I think emotionally the low point for me had probably was the bubble last year and the way that went down because when you Go between the the pandemic hitting when it did and all and everything related to that just being rough as it is. But then especially in the context of the Bucks, where maybe they would have flamed out the way the Jazz did this season. I think looking at that team, it's possible that might have happened anyway if the season had kept going. But 
it really did. And I, it was the last article I wrote for Behind the Buck Pass before I went on hiatus during the pandemic. But the it really felt like this could literally be the turning point in this franchise where it felt like the Bucks were going to were one of the three, two or three best teams, or maybe the probably the best team in the league last season up until the point of the pandemic happening. And then for them to come back and just fall flat on their face and get beat in the manner in which they did against the Heat and not seeing Bud make those adjustments and like feeling like, well, this is maybe is the roster off. Like they're just, it's like, you don't even know where to start. <laughs> it, and then with Giannis's contract situation coming into the seat, like we're, knowing where that could go, I think like emotionally that was probably the low point because, um, you know, even though the previous era took me out of my Bucks fandom, just like, the the whole way that evolved really felt like this this could be the start of another twenty year downtrend and they never they got to one Eastern Conference final they never even got to have a chance to play for the in the finals um, with the best player they've had like he might be he might walk in a season I mean I you know I think we always held out hope that he would stay but this that I mean that things could have gone in a much different direction um, for sure and that definitely felt like the emotional low point. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna park that for now because I think we're gonna come back to that with later questions because you've got the perfect narrative there from low point to high point. It's all gonna come together really nicely, Dan. You're gonna like the ending of that story. <laughs> what was your favorite right. moment though prior to the championship? Can you think of anything that for you was like the bright spark that kind of brought something out in you that you're like, oh no, okay, this team, whether it is more recent or if it's even kind of back to the early days. Is there anything you'd pinpoint for one of your favorite moments? I think the, I mean, there's a couple. I remember the Bucks Hawks series. There's not like a, a game that stands out in that series, but I just remember being really into that because the, you know, the Bucks were legitimately in that and had a chance to actually win a playoff series, which was like the first time that in my Bucks fandom since 2001 that they'd actually been in a position to realistically do that. Um, I think the, the 2014 15 run, um, as well, where even though they got whooped in that game six, like the way those games went down before then, uh, the mm-hmm. fact that they took those two games and it felt like, oh, hey, they're actually fight. Like there's 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 fight here, and you could kind of see some things that you know were making you hopeful. Like it was just fun to have a team that was rel- that felt relevant again, um, even if they weren't a serious contender. Uh, necessarily compared to say Cleveland that season like it still was fun to have them in a playoff series actually winning games Um, especially because I think at that point like you had we had young players that in theory with Jabari if Jabari came back from his ACL injury better and you know if Giannis continued to evolve because I was a you know Giannis fan from pretty early on I literally have a gamer tag that is the Greek Freak 34 on PSN. Um, and I grabbed that tag the year he got drafted. Um, that's that's which... actually impressive. You know, I'm I'm kind of surprised. I'm amazed like Giannis hasn't, well, Giannis doesn't want that as his tag. That would be problems. <laughs> you must get a lot of, uh, you must get a lot of like random people trying to add you with that tag. Surprisingly not. I, I, oh. I but, um, but yeah, it's been, it I, that I think that era was probably like the those games and um were were just so much fun to be a part of like just just to be in games that the Bucks were winning is <laughs> you know it was it was so bad in those um, mid two thousand series where it just felt like they got blown off the floor every game and like I said I know that the Bulls series ended in a bad spot where they got absolutely annihilated but 
um, to have but the fun of even those that games though, right? The fact that like if you're gonna lose by fifty games, the way to or by fifty points, the way to do it is with Yana sending Mike Dunleavy into the second row. Like that, that is the best possible way that could have gone down. Um, but the other thing too, like and taking back that that was. Um, Maya Jordan's first year at Behind the Book Pass. I think you might have joined after that season. I did. It was the Greg Monroe. It was a Greg Monroe season. Right. So uh, it was that, when, that I was in law season. school. Yeah. Uh, it was. A, it was the first time uh, I started writing for the site. I think it was um, 2015. I like. I remember at the time, and it's something that it's kind of like, oh yeah, they lost six and they got absolutely blown out. Something that kind of gets lost at time is that that Bulls team was really good and had been really oh, good yeah. for a few years. That was Jimmy Butler's breakout year, right? That was Jimmy Butler's breakout year. Um, it was also just at a point where, like, I think that was the year after Noah was like top five in MVP yes, voting. It was. Yeah, like Rose came back. From Rose came back and he he looked good. Year. And is it the round after the Bucks then that he tore his meniscus? I feel I don't like think so. I I thought it was later in that postseason. That was when they played against Cleveland, and um, that was like the. Rose had like a game winning shot, I think an early game in that series, but like the whole like David Blatt timeout oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yes. With okay, LeBron. It right. was like, oh, that's kind of weird. That's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like seeing from afar. But that that was, yeah, that was a genuine moment of hope. And I think for for a lot of people, for us, like that's the moment where things changed. Um, I don't know if anyone necessarily told the books that things had changed. They had some false starts from that point on, but I think for the fandom, it definitely awoke something in books fans that hadn't been there for like twelve years. <laughs> you know, that's that's really how it feels like, and a, and a lot of people have spoken about it quite openly in the years since. Um, being a books fan, so do you think it's any different to being a fan of another team? Is there something special or unique about being a books fan? Is there something like ultimately about it that then makes this championship, for example, feel all the more special? Or is that just the kind of is that just the kind of nonsense we all like to tell ourselves? I think, I think there's a little bit of, of, of truth of it being nonsense, but I, I do think there is something that, like I said earlier, that distinguishes uh, experiences of fans of teams that have gone through the kinds of downs that um, you know the Bucks have experienced. Um, I mean, I can imagine when Cleveland won their first NBA title with LeBron, how, you know, how that special that felt for them. And like, we went through a very, almost nearly as long of a period of time without a championship. And I think like that's, I think that's, if, if there's, a, there's elements in that, that I think very few fan bases have experienced. Well, actually, I mean, a decent amount of teams are, do struggle and, you know, haven't won a title or haven't won one in a while, but the Bucks had one of the longest title droughts, I think, and any major sport in the United mm-hmm. States. And for mm-hmm. that to, so like the going through that kind of experience and especially the, the low, because a lot of low points in there, <laughs> uh, like we've been talking about, um, I think makes that uh, experience different than like, if you were a fan of, of the Lakers and, you know, the Lakers had pretty much been in the title picture with, you know, four or five year bad runs mixed in occasionally. Um, I mean, the Knicks will be probably one of the only big market teams that could, probably relate realistically could relate to what the bucks are going or what bucks fans went through um up until this title which is amazing and there are actually pretty strong similarities there in spite of all the advantages nick should have in terms of 
like when they got their last championship and the times, the kind of the moments where they've reared their head and looked like, okay, this is it. We've got a real team. We're going to conference finals. All that. There are some real similarities there. Let's go to the championship. It's enough of all of the, the bad stuff or the building up to it. What's your favorite moment from across what, what it could be from last season generally, or specifically from the postseason run. But what is the thing to you that's your favorite that even if it's not just the ultimate moment of winning, it might have been something that kind of flagged up for you. Oh, this is really happening or this could happen. What's what's funny about this run is I it, it felt a bit different than when I, I thought the Bucks were going to do it um, when they lost when they won the first two games of the Raptors series and then went on to lose that. I remember watching game two of that series with Jordan and being like, holy cow, they're actually going to do this. And then... It didn't happen, it <laughs> and having being deflated coming out of that was, you know, was, was obviously pretty rough. But um, I think what made this run different was, like, it was just such. It, it, it kind of a, it was like the perfect journey to that. Like, just it had all the elements of Bucks fandom and everything we experienced. We experienced during this playoff run because, like, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't easy. They made it as hard as they possibly could at times. Um, we all felt hopeless at times uh, during the run. It's, I mean, it's still insane when you think about the way they got killed in those first two games against the Nets, the way that game two went. For them to have responded, because they hadn't really shown that in the previous two seasons, that they were capable of responding in a, in, to adversity like that, it really felt like they were heading for another Miami Heat exit, or like from the from the bubble. And to to have them turn it around, I think was was definitely like it's still kind of insane to think about frankly um and i th- so i think like you know a couple moments definitely from the journey stand out i think game seven of, of against the nets and like just sort of the relief it, it, it wasn't even so much like just happiness to get in past them because you knew they still had to get through the eastern conference finals granted I, I think we all thought they would beat the hawks and they should beat the hawks um but the way that game went and the just the <laughs> The craziness of it, like it, it was such a relief for them to get past it, and it really felt like okay, this could be the moment that actually they had their break. Like, and that, I think that's like one of the big things that's different between this run and the previous two, especially the the, the twenty nineteen season was they actually had breaks happen. Um, that and that's and, and let's face it, every, whether people want to admit it or not, every team that wins a title, regardless of what sport it is, needs breaks to go their way at different points in time for them to be able to get to this moment. And the Bucks finally had some stuff for the first time in like 50 years, basically <laughs> break, break their way. And um, so I, I think game seven was very enjoyable. I remember feeling like, uh, you know, off the high at game three, like, yeah, they're going to, of the Eastern conference finals, they're going to get there. And then Giannis's injury happened. <laughs> um, I, I, What's funny is I feel like games five and six of the Hawks series were a lot of fun, even though Giannis's injury had happened and you weren't sure where it was going to go. Like the fact that they responded in the way that they did um, really yeah, broke ball. Made... I love that. Right. The Brook game, Brook and Bobby. Um, yeah. And then, and then game six, I mean, Chris going nuclear a couple times in that series as well. Um, it was just so much fun to see them respond in that moment and actually get there because not knowing Giannis's health status going into the finals, it was like, okay, they, I'm just happy they got there. <laughs> I don't think any of us expected Giannis to be back and then to be to go on to have one of the 
three or five best finals performances of all time. Like it's, it's, it's still, everything about this run is just, it's, it's still insane when you reflect back at the individual moments, whether it's the fact that Durant's foot was almost, you know, almost behind the line to hit a game winning shot. That probably should have been the moment. And then Giannis's injury and the fact that he comes back and does what he does, um, you know, Drew going through the ups and downs on the offensive end to be able to just absolutely shut down Chris Paul. I mean, it's just insane. There's just so many different things that <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to pick out. Um, but I think the getting to the finals, like the if I had a, like the key moments, uh, the block, the, the block against Aiden in Game Four, and then that the alley oop in Game Five. Like those are the two moments that I, they stand out. Um, I know you guys have talked about it being the you know the maybe the best moment in Bucks history. Like those are the two moments when you reflect back on this run, like that definitely stood out because like that, that's where it really felt like, Holy cow. They're actually, especially in game five with the way game five ended. It's like, they're actually going to do this. Um, so that, you know, it, it was good. So I made it going into game six, the first time that I think in the entire run, I actually felt fully like very confident that I have, I have the DMs to prove that, that you were not very yes. confident before, like when they were <laughs> right over the line. And I respect that. That's that's a books fan. That's years of uh, of being burned. And also, I think one of the things I love about the run is, like, if we're being honest, this in terms of where the team was at and how it felt going through the regular season, everything. In a lot of ways, this was the least likely year for them to win a title under Bud until everything turned, and then it's like, oh no, this is actually the year where they're going to do it. Like, there's so many steps along the way that weren't there in. Um, the year well the bubble threw everything out but when you as you mentioned they were the best team in the league and they were the best they had looked they were better than they looked a year ago and you're like well, okay they're gonna go and they're gonna steamroll through whoever they play and quite the opposite happens the year before from just how dominant they'd been from start to finish a team transformed they're just cruising their way through cruising their way through and we're halfway there in the conference finals and then we're not there at all but there's all those seasons along the journey. If you, you can kind of feel like, oh, this is the year. This is the year where it was late, late in the journey. This time around, we were like, oh, well, maybe this is the year. I guess if we're past the Nets now. It's got to be the year. It's now or never, which is kind of how it played out. Um, okay, to the moment itself, to Game Six, to whatever way you want to take this. What do you remember specifically about? That game, that moment, that evening when the Bucks clinch a championship, what did it mean to you and what's going to stick with you as your kind of lasting memory of watching the Bucks actually win a championship? So, I mean, I, I think things actually played out quite nicely. I mean, part of me wanted to, and Jordan knows this as we were discussing what we wanted to do for game six. Um, you know, part of me wanted to, to go down and experience being around that crowd Um which I didn't end up doing. And part of the reason I really wanted to do that, well, one, I grew up a Bucks fan and thought it'd be fun to experience that. And two, I, I, even though I was in Wisconsin in Madison, my last year of law school, when the Cubs won the world series, I had a good friend in law school who had grown up a Cubs fan and like them going through <laughs> that title drought and just like being around them and celebrating that, even though I wasn't a Cubs fan, like, and I usually hate the Cubs, but like, you know, I was kind of rooting for them in that game seven to see them in the, t- the title drought was like, it was such a unique experience being around all these people who were celebrating that. And I was like, I kind of wanted to experience that being around people 
But then I think it worked out because I got to spend watching the game with my brother and my dad, my dad who grew up a Bucks fan who was at, I think he said at the 71 finals, like he used to go to the playoffs. So he was a little kid, like, um, you know, and, and as an early adult and like, you know, knowing that he had gone through those struggles of watching the Bucks and like seeing what that moment meant for him when the Bucks actually went and pulled it off was like, was, was very, it was very special. And I, you know, I think that, that really made that moment special being here. Plus being at home also after the game and seeing, the, you know, what it meant to the players and mm-hmm. kind of getting to live through that experience of watching them and feeling like you're, you're, you're like, you're, you're there with them, but not really, but like, hearing all those post-game interviews and like just seeing what it meant to them. I like it, it really, I staying here at, at like when watching at home ended up being the right call. Cause I really got to soak in like, uh, you know, the entire moment and like what it meant for these, to, to everybody from the players to, you know, to the fans. And um, I think the game itself was, I felt <laughs> they got us at such a good start and it's like, yeah, they're going to, they're going to go on and they're going to do this. And then, you know, they always, as they uh, had to throughout the run, they made things just a little <laughs> bit difficult for themselves at times. But um, you know, the way they fought back, I, I guess I always, I always felt pretty confident um, that they were going to be able to pull it off um, in that game. Just to, you know, the way the flow of the game, the way Giannis was playing, uh, the way the team was playing, it just felt like the moment was right, and for them to. Um, that fourth quarter and like the way that it was, you know, semi comfortable where we didn't have to, <laughs> it didn't come down to a one possession game uh, where they needed some crazy play uh, on the defensive end or on the offensive end to, to win it. It was just nice to have that like couple of minutes, although, you know, it, it was missing that one seminal moment in that game. I think Pat bricked a three with like four, like three or four minutes left that would have made it a double digit game. Mm -hmm. That was like the moment where it was like, if that, if he hits that shot, that's the moment that you remember from that game. So like, that was like the one thing that kind of felt like it was missing. They didn't have that seminal moment where they hit a shot um, or some defensive play was made and you're like, Oh yeah, this is like, Holy crap. They're going to do this. Like, um, they never, we never really had that, but like just sort of the whole experience of, um, of them have keeping it kind of comfortable the way Giannis had all those free throws after the struggles that he went through, I think that's that there was something really special about that too. The fact that he had the best <laughs> performance of his career at the free that's throw line in, 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 the, in the highest pressure, uh, moment that he's ever played in, in his career. And I think what that hopefully means for him moving forward, like getting past that mental hurdle at the line. It kind of started in that Raptor series. And then for him to actually be clinching the title with the free throws he was hitting in this, like it was just everything about it was, um, you know, there's all these little things that I'm sure is more of I could think of, but like there's just so many special moments about the game and um, and the experience of that. But, um, you know, it just, it meant a lot. I mean, honestly, it, it is a, is a fan of teams that have won, titles like i i think this is probably the most meaningful this is easily the most meaningful title that i've ever experienced as a sports fan i mean you know i <laughs> i was three when the packers won their first won their first super bowl in 30 some years and i had pneumonia that day and i slept through the entire game and i don't remember any of it <laughs> <laughs> so like i didn't really get to ex- i didn't you know i didn't really get to experience that and frankly i was probably too young that i would have really remembered it anyway and then you know like living vicariously as a, through a man city and experiencing like the 2011, 12 season when city won the title on the final day in the crazy manner that they did was like, this was an incredible experience, but like, it doesn't mean the same as being a fan of a team your whole life and seeing them 
going through the experiences that we went through and to see that's like end was just um it meant a lot I think that, that's the. I can't difference. believe you brought up the Aguero goal. Sorry, Jordan. I can't believe you came back <laughs> on the pod and brought up the Aguero goal. That's all time low point for me as much as United fan. Continue, Jordan. No, I was I was gonna say is that like to Dan's point, you know, all we knew, all I knew was that the Packers are good. Brett Favre's this you know golden right. god. At you know we are the Bucks were our way of seeing like oh this is how bad the Packers were for such a long time <laughs> after Lombardi. And, you know, Bart Starr, that era of Packers were. And then we see it with, it's like, oh, yeah, like, this is what happens when <laughs> Kareem leaves. But then Don Nelson's, like, you know, on Sydney Moncrief, all, like, that era of Bucks, you know. Uh, it's even getting to, getting to go from Favre to Rodgers is like, yeah. Yeah, like, that's the other thing is that they win a Super Bowl in 2010. And even, like, that year was, like, they weren't that great that year. They, or it was, like, 10 and 6 or something like that. Like, it was a special run, of course, but it was still, like, you go through the highs and lows, but then when you get to the end point and, you know, it's it's more of a relief than anything where it's, like, oh, they, they did it by all these, you know, insurmountable odds and going through injuries, which was, like, a lot that year, too. Whereas, like, we have, like, you have, like, all, like, the wilderness, the Siberia part of, like, the Bucks are just, like, this – largely irrelevant team and then hope starts to sprinkle in with Giannis, jabari chris um and it, you know explodes when bud comes along and they kind of figure you know put the pieces together but then it's like you still there's stages to kind of going through the process of it where it's like yeah it's and like how we're how we have been talking about it. it's like we've had low points where it's like yeah we've checked out from following the team yeah, we've checked out when you know the season goes to shit or whatever it is, and then it's like, well, now we're they're getting good, and we're seeing like success come in, and then it's like, take it away against Toronto, it's take it away in the bubble and all that stuff. So like to go through that unique experience of it because it's you know, <laughs> it's one of a kind, honestly. Um, it makes it that much sweeter that it's like when you get to the end point now, it's like, it's not just relief, but it's just like they actually did this like impossible feat <laughs> you know it's that's what makes it so great i think there's something very special about the players too um and that being a big part of this experience particularly the journey that Giannis was like everything that Giannis represents um and has meant to this team and his journey to get here i mean it's such an incredible story that i you 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 can't top that in any sport i mean he comes here broke at 18 you know he wasn't playing in a top league in europe and to come over here and start what he as what he was even though you saw flashes of it in his rookie season for him to become one of the who knows where he ends up on the all-time ranking that's all subjective anyway but like you know, for him to be an all-time great player and bring a championship to Milwaukee and like everything he's personally experienced and kind of getting to live through that, I think is also like another part of this equation. And then, you know, and seeing him and Chris together and the evolution of that, like just is something very special about the way this team like got here uh, that I think you can't disconnect that from the players too. And with that in mind, last question for you. Do you think they can do it again? Or are we going to have to wait another 50 years? Like it, it doesn't, I'm not saying the, are they going to repeat? You don't have to, but do you think this is something that we can see whether it's this group of players or could this just be a significant enough change in terms of 
the franchise in terms of how players see the franchise, fans in Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, whatever it might be, is this something that you believe will happen again sometime soon? Or are we all going to be really, really, really old if we're lucky the next time the Bucks uh, win a championship? I think it's definitely possible that they win another title in the next three, five years. I mean, it's going to be difficult this season just because the, the nets are so stacked. I mean, and, and theoretically, if, yeah, if the nets are healthy and they're clicking and firing on all cylinders, they're probably the best team in the NBA. I don't think anybody's going to really argue against that. Although there's so many scenarios where that can go, you know, where those things can go wrong, but um, they got, but the thing is the bucks, you know, the bucks, even though it took some breaks with injuries and obviously against the Nets in that series, which every team had those breaks, the Suns had the same breaks on their way to the, they get to the NBA finals this year. And like that happens in every playoff run too. It was just, you know, there were a lot more injuries because of the condensed season this, uh, this past season. So um, hopefully that's not as much of an issue this season. Although I can imagine it might be uh, keeping players healthy is going to be hard, uh, which is something that the Bucks will definitely want to uh, be cautious of with Giannis, Drew and Chris, uh, Drew and Chris in particular, because they played at the Olympics and had barely any time off heading into this next season. But I, I do think it's a turning point, but you just never know. I mean, this this could be their, their one title in 50 years. It's so hard to, I mean, as the 50-year drought shows, I mean, it's, you, you, you can't take these moments for granted because you never know if they're going to come around again. Um, so, I mean, I think it's the right answer is that, yes, they can definitely win another title. They might even do it again next season. But to make that happen, I mean, whether it's going to happen, that's it. You, you just never know. There's just so many variables that could, you know, make or break that. That's a good note for us to finish on because I think it reminds us of just how rare this is, how lucky um, we are that we are here talking about the books having finally got it done. It was great to have you back on, Dan. It was particularly fun to talk about all of this, your books journey, um, but also the books winning a championship. Tell the people where they can find you or if there's anything you want to plug or let people know. Here's your chance. Um, uh, well, uh, we just keep rooting for the bucks. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Larson, L A R S E N underscore 34. Um, I'm on a little bit of a hiatus because it feels like, uh, outside of the books title winning that the world is often on fire and, uh, Twitter is, you know, Twitter <laughs> sometimes there's some great elements, but uh, you know, sometimes it gets exhausting. So, uh, but yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be active, uh, you know, uh, but let's, Let's uh, enjoy the moment and let's hope we might have a, a Brewers run here in October that's going to be very similar to the Bucks run. I mean, this Brewers team is extremely special and I'm hoping that we're on the verge of seeing the Bucks, or sorry, the Bucks, seeing the Bucks and the Brewers, but uh, the Brewers in particular who've gone through an even more tortured history, arguably, than the Bucks have, um, hopefully getting over the hump here in October. I'm on the bandwagon now. I assume I'm the lucky charm. <laughs> so, you know, I couldn't make one parade. Maybe I'll make another. How about that? <laughs> Jordan, any final thoughts? Um, No, I'm, I'm riding the wave. I'm riding the wave. I got my surfboard right here. Um, <laughs> but I don't know what it, that was terrible. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll wrap it up then. As always, thanks all of you for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Eurostep Podcast Network. You can also subscribe to our sub, sub stack, even gspn. I always forget this. Substack. Substack.com. Substack. There we yeah. go. That's where you can make sure you get every 
piece of content we uh, we create, whether it's podcast videos, articles, whatever it might be, sign up there and it will all land straight in your inbox. We'll be back later in the week. We'll have another interview. We'll keep this going. We appreciate the feedback on the first episode. We hope you all enjoyed this one. And we're going to continue to uh, ride this wave of books euphoria for a little while longer. So until the next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.